the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself. Without the lies and the false beliefs, where would we be? Where would we be? Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. I'm an Indian. And we are your theory doctors. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Shout out to our buddy Sam, who pointed out to an Indian this week that he does a hilarious hello that is the podcast hello. And so we've changed it up. Yeah. Keeping you on your toes. Keeping you surprised. Thanks, Sam. Um, so what are we talking about today? Uh, my favorite topic of all time, families and Thanksgiving. Family. Fam time. Why families on Thanksgiving? Well, last week was Thanksgiving. Um, I guess week before last by the time this episode goes live. And I forgot that it was Thanksgiving, to be honest, Mm -hmm. until about eight o'clock in the evening when I had a mini bag of Doritos in one hand, a Tesco sandwich in the other, and arrived at rehearsal, and the director of my play, who's American, said, Happy Thanksgiving! So you mean you didn't even give thanks to the Native American population who gave their land freely and willingly to you? Uh, Land and food. Land and food. You weren't even grateful to them. I wasn't even grateful to them, no. Um, No, yeah, I, I... it completely slipped my mind. I came back and there were all those, in, you know, the usual inane social media posts. This year I'm thankful for this. This year I'm thankful for that. And this year, as every year, everyone was thankful for their families. I get the sense that Thanksgiving is not a popular holiday in your world. In Well, in my, in my individual world, okay. um, it's the most anticlimactic. I mean, and holidays are are known for being anticlimactic. That is that is the, the key characteristic here. But Thanksgiving is the most anticlimactic. And I think that that, combined with the fact that it always happens on a Thursday, combined with the fact that the history of it is pretty problematic, um, and I just don't care about it, makes it my my least important holiday. But it does seem to be... It seems to do what Christmas does in Britain. Thanksgiving seems to do in America more than Christmas does in America, which is you, on the one hand, constantly talk about and are exposed to a series of commercial sets of discourses about how this is the family time and we should all travel and we should all spend time together and all be one family. And watch football. And watch football. Um, but on the other, social media and the internet is full of competing discourses about how best to get through this time. and how This best trying not, time where you are exposed to family. How best not to have an argument with your Trump-supporting uncle, who's always an uncle. Always an uncle. Yes. Well, I think there's a practical element to this. I mean, yes, absolutely, it's true. Thanksgiving, because nothing else happens at Thanksgiving, yeah. it is literally just a massive meal yeah. where you sit down and talk to people, yeah. and not, there are no other activities. Yeah. So y- you're really 
quite stuck yeah. with your Trump supporting uncle if you yeah. have one. Um, but the proximity to Christmas means that Thanksgiving happens. And then a month later, Christmas happens. And so all the discourse around it is tired. Hmm. Whereas in Britain, it's only Christmas where the discourse arrives. So it's not that Christmas is not just the same. And Americans are just as obsessed with um, the traditions associated with Christmas. Whether or not they themselves celebrate Christmas. Because, of course, in the United States, um, there are many different holidays that are celebrated around this time of year um but the kind of i think a lot of this just ha- has to do with the fact that thanksgiving comes first yeah. Yeah. and there are no presents yeah is that secretly why i'm not a huge fan of thanksgiving <laughs> well so the reason i thought of doing this this episode was it occurred to me how and i think we talked we've talked about this a little bit over the years that there is such a pronounced discourse about how to survive Thanksgiving, especially in political terms. In other words, how to either avoid having a political debate over the dinner table or to turn the political debate around so you can get through it without falling out, without having a a screaming match. Now, I admit I might be an exception here, but in my memory, in my memory of our family where Thanksgiving was never a thing, but political debate absolutely was. And it wasn't something that was to be avoided. It wasn't something that was to be... um, uh, that needed to be managed, shall we say. Uh, Perhaps the range of opinions were uh, more constricted and that our family always has had mostly a, a fairly identifiable political identity. Oh, yeah. Such political identity. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, when I describe you to American friends, I have to specify, because you are a Marxist, but you're not a Marxist solely in the kind of the academic, oh, I'm a Marxist sense, because you read and appreciate the philosophy of Marx. You are actually a Marxist because... There's a communist party. Yes. Where you're from? Yes, I've never been a member, but yes. Um, uh, yeah, and our family has a very long association of various different kinds with the communist movement in in the part of India I grew up in. So political debate and discussion, admittedly framed in those terms, has always been a part of our life. And the notion that it is it needs to be quiet and silenced or we need to have we need to be careful about having a civil political dis- debate as opposed to an angry political debate is just so alien to me partly because we always debate in our family and we always debate quite loudly so the first time my now wife then partner came to India uh, with me and got quite noticeably worried at quite how loudly I was debating. A lot of the debate was happening in Bengali, which she doesn't speak, and she tried to get me to calm down. But it was it's not anger, it's uh, gesticulation and passion, and that's okay, isn't it? I don't know. 
Well, don't question your family's practice <laughs> on my account. No, I mean, it's... Yeah, I think this... I think this is where the rhetoric... I mean, certainly since Trump, yeah. times have changed yeah. for the quintessential American white middle class... Yeah. Um, which, you know, is reason really the upper middle class these days. Yeah. And um, times have changed so much in the sense that, that the Trump voting family member yeah. is a caricature mm-hmm. and is a sort of um, bizarre, unbelievable end point to what were previously irritating political differences. Yeah. Um, the generational divide in the U.S. is quite stark, mm-hmm. similarly mm-hmm. to the U.K. Mm-hmm. and I think most of Europe as well. Mm-hmm. The generational divide is very, very clear. And um, it, even in some ways, some ways more clear than a, than a division... Mm-hmm along other demographic lines or identity lines. So that's, I think that has something to do with it, that the age is a really important Mm. feature of the Western European American family dynamic um, and political life. That's not to say that's the case in every family, but certainly um, families that I know that are white hmm. other families that I know that aren't white this is a yeah. a feature yeah I mean it's, it's it's interesting I guess it it also speaks to a culturing cultured otherness as it were othering of the stereotypically large loud loud disorganized family which is othered in various ways depending on where you are but it could be othered as Irish or as Catholic or as Italian or as Jewish or as South Asian or as black. Yeah, or as Mexican. Or as Mexican. Which is quite a common trope. All of these these otheringness are somehow mapped onto this notion of a large, loud family, which is distinct from... But distinct from what exactly? White Protestant family? Is that it? I mean, I think that's the ideal, right? Because the ideal white Protestant family is hardworking, it's nuclear, it's closed off, it's self-contained, yeah. it funds itself, and it doesn't require funds from anywhere else. Yeah. It's a kind of little bubble, and it's respectable, so it's well-dressed, mm. it's um, it's high-achieving, mm. mm. it's healthy physically and yeah. emotionally. Yeah. There's some sort of spiritual aspect to it, but that doesn't necessarily anymore mean a kind of Protestant Christian spirituality. Yeah. More and more it kind of means a, a strange secular yeah. spirituality or even where I'm from, a new agey spirituality. Yeah. And that ideal doesn't really exist. And I wonder if the... If the... I mean, we all know people whose families are closest to that ideal. Yeah. Certainly being raised by a single working mom. Uh, my family was never... Yeah. I was immediately othered yeah. um, for the opposite mm. ways that mm. you were as a part of a big family. And 
I think part of this kind of heightened popular media discourse around the family yeah. battles is in res- is a kind of knee jerk response or a sort of opposition to yeah. that ideal and a kind of going over the top to flip it and say the ideal is actually the opposite or the the reality is actually yeah. the opposite that yeah. families are so divided and so um politically troubled that it flips that that waspy stereotype yeah. on its head yeah so i guess is the i mean you 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 identified a number of characteristics for the wasp family and a lot of those characteristics seem to me to be about privilege so is the is is the nuclear family a privilege that you can afford only when you have a certain amount of social capital and economic capital and when you when you aren't insulated by that capital you need this larger louder disorganized extended family in order as a survival mechanism as it were i think that's definitely part of it yeah. um certainly when it comes to things like children yeah child care education yeah. um having a larger family is a buffer and yeah. a protection for children yeah. Um, especially children of color who are at, at greater risk yeah. um, in educational institutions, preschools, nurseries, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I can see why friends of mine who are parents who aren't white like to have relatives yeah. to help yeah. raise children. Yeah. There's also, yeah, I mean, there, and there, there is also the sort of the... The if you're safe everywhere, I saw this this argument made on the route recently. The kind of the in the 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 speculation that was made, and the author did kind of say it was a speculation that um, if you're safe everywhere, and the wasp family is is safe everywhere in the United States, then you don't need a family to provide a sanctuary from yeah. the public sphere. Yeah. Yeah. If you are at risk in the public sphere, yeah. the family provides a safe space. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I mean, I guess in, in some ways then that's a, a kind of flipping on its head. The idea of the WASP family is as existing in these two public and private spheres distinct in distinct ways, which is yeah. sort of the sociological and historical argument that gets made about the transition yeah. to the nuclear family in yeah. the, the 19th century. Yeah. Um, and the creation of these two spheres. And if the Wasp family can exist in both, then aspects of the kind of social division, political strife, intergenerational tensions that exist in the public domain make their way into the private sphere because your family doesn't need to be so protected. Yeah. Or protective. That's really interesting because, so part of my... One of the one of the stories I think that circulate in our extended family is so our family moved over from what is now Bangladesh, became East Pakistan in 1947, and our family moved over in 1947 to West Bengal in, in India, in what is now India, um, and there's a one half of the family which is this my dad's dad's side of the family, um, 
there's all, my dad was very young at this time and there's, there, there were conversations about splitting the family up and having each sibling stay with another extended member of the family separately um, in order to sort of ensure survival. And my grandmother, is, who's no longer around, is spoken of as the sort of the matriarch who sort of through sheer willpower and not much else decided that, I, you know, even if we don't have enough to eat, we will still stay together and, and rent a place together as a family because that's the best way to keep us together and keep us protected. Um, and even though the family isn't living together as such, and you know, like an, ev- any large family, there, there are rifts every which way you look at them. But there's something about that need to come together when things are bad, when you have your back against the wall. Your family are the people who you expect to be there beside you. Yeah, what I found really interesting about this article in the Root, yeah. and it was kind of it was speculation. He wasn't yeah. making any kind of big yeah. claims or anything. It was all anecdotal. Yeah. Um, but that's not how any of the families that I know, certainly yeah. not my own families, yeah. are. They act more like your family. Yeah. When somebody gets is diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. When um, somebody's in a car accident. Yeah. When somebody uh, is. Um, going through a divorce, yeah. when somebody's kid is having a, a serious crisis at school, the family yeah. bands together somehow. Yeah. And um, they have, you know, both sides of my family have massive, mm. massive family reunions yeah. regularly yeah. where everybody gets together and is loud, yeah. crazy, sometimes drunken, massive parties that that evoke not the kind of waspy nuclear family, yeah. but yeah. the working class yeah. debauchery. Yeah. And, and you know, my family is not, not working class as yeah. such. So I wonder if it has... But it is waspy, right? Or isn't it, I, it, yeah. No, I don't know. Not really, though, right? Because there's Catholic strands. Yeah. Um, there's... And there's Catholic strands close by. Yeah. Um, there's also great right. I, there's family that's my blood family, and also family that's step family, yeah. and family that's yeah. like yeah. chosen yeah. family. Yeah. The people who I call my cousins who yeah. aren't my cousins, yeah. but they're so close that they're more my cousins, exactly. right? Yeah. And and that in this article, yeah. Um, which I find really fascinating, and that the safe space thing is absolutely one hundred percent true. I buy that. Yeah. I'm not sure that the 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 white family is the is evidence of it though. Yeah, so I wonder if the the need for families to come together when times are bad is a constant in or not a constant, but you know is is a common trope across all sorts of different racial, ethnic, regional, geographical, generational backgrounds, including the white family. But perhaps white privilege means the need to talk about it as a survival strategy is less acute. So when yeah. things are bad, the family comes together. But the family as a, as a source of safety and support is doesn't need to be maintained through thought. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because in sort of everyday life when things aren't particularly bad, when you know no one has cancer or no one's kids in crisis... You, the family isn't needed in that sense. 
And certainly not. So one of the differences, I think, with holidays is holidays for families with more privilege aren't, aren't a time to remove everybody from a really tiring, taxing, violent, you know, patriarchal, white supremacist world and spend some time apart resting from that. Holidays are just more of the same. They're not necessarily a retreat. See, absolutely. I guess the only only time, from what you said, the only thing that I occurred to me suddenly is the word, use of the word patriarchal because to what extent can families really be seen as safe spaces against patriarchy you know I can, I can buy the safe space against racism yeah and this brings you back to the uncle yes <laughs> the uncle uncle always has to be there the uncle right and the the Trump voting family member doesn't yeah. sound isn't as evocative as the yeah. Trump voting uncle yeah and why is that yeah why is it an uncle often dodgy, slightly scary figure of male authority. Does that come from, like, Withnail and I and Uncle Monty (laughs) and that horrible homophobic representation of Uncle Monty? Is that... I'm sure it probably predates it. Yeah, but, I mean, is that the cultural reference? I mean, Napoleon Dynamite, Uncle Rico? Is there a kind of... I mean, it's sort of the... It's not quite as on the nail patriarchy as dad. So there's a slight distance there, but still a figure of male authority who is perhaps not able around you every day to exert authority in a way that is normalized. So it's a, an out of the way, abnormal intrusion of a figure of male authority into your life who yeah. isn't normally there. Yeah. So, you know, your, your, your dad, dad's patriarchal authority, you have found ways to deal with, to come to terms with. But your uncle's patriarchal authority is alien to you, a little bit more alien to you. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, I think, yeah. 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 I mean... The, so the cultural reference here that I keep coming back to is Home Alone. Yes. And, I mean, that family is a monstrous family in the sense that they're so badly behaved. And the whole moral of the story at the end is that they learn not to be so badly behaved. Except that they go to Home Alone 2 and they do exactly the same thing over and <laughs> again. I mean, seriously, child protection services. <laughs> watch Home Alone and you just think child protection services. I think that that child needs help. (laughs) (laughs) But you you absolutely, but but also the, because that, I mean Home Alone is fascinating here because it's also the twin playing on the, and actually playing in, in a quite cruel way when you stop and think about it, on the child's fantasy that his family disappear. Yeah. Right? Because his family are causing him so much stress. It's almost like the child goes to sleep and dreams his family out of his life. 
and then has to face up to the fact that he can't cope without his family and his family need to come back and of course you have the happy joyous reunion at the end but talk about i mean almost gaslighting i mean it took it's a really disturbing idea that the in punishing you for daring to imagine a life without your family you are forced to accept the need for the family right yeah so alone yeah yeah um there's also a very american values embedded yeah. in there about a go-getter attitude yeah. and a creative you know diy yeah <laughs> make the best of yes. the worst of yes. a terrible situation yes. Yes. um and then you and, know all of the anguish of the mother who tries to negotiate public transport around christmas in order to get home to, for her son it's I mean, it's a brilliant film but very oddly disturbing yeah yeah but in that family right you don't yeah. know whose kid is whose no you don't know where you know where the family lines and begin and you have and scary end. uncles and you have the the neighbor kid that no yes. one can tell is not part of the family yeah you also have the 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 other the other family which is the scary old guy who yeah. turns out to be not so scary at, uh, after all and the brokenness of that family that somehow gets healed yeah through through this narrative as it were yeah i yeah i mean it's it's really just quite freudian isn't it the yeah. family is a space of both violence and sanctuary uncanny <laughs> <laughs> Talking of which, the uncanniest, waspiest family of them all has produced more news in the last week, has it not? This is the news that Prince Harry never forget when he dressed up as a Nazi. He dressed up as a Nazi. I mean, to be fair, he probably found it in a fancy dress trunk belonging to his uncle. I mean, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but yes, it was a joke. It was a we joke. were kidding. Yes, not true. There, there have never been any Nazi connotations with any member of the royal family ever. Never, never. Um, so yeah, so Prince Harry got engaged to an American mixed race divorcee actress who's Catholic. She is. I feel like I need to correct you when you say she's American. She is Californian. <laughs> Not the same. Not the same. Californian is important here. Okay. Not all Americans are made equal. Okay. Do you feel a kinship with the new this newest member of the royal family? Uh I did before she became a member of the royal family. <laughs> but but so if if we are if we are trying to explore the possibilities or otherwise of a large family being a bulwark against oppression doesn't really apply to the royal family no but there it's still in in a strange kind of way you could still make the case that it still applies as a kind of survival strategy because 
the royal family needs lots of members in order to guarantee succession. Right? There always has to be someone else to take over. Yeah, and Hilary Mantel wrote in that amazing speech um, that she gave at the London Review of Books. Is that where it was? So, yeah. A number of years ago, before um, before Prince William married Catherine Middleton, um, about royal bodies yes. and about particularly how w- women's bodies get. Uh, Purchased, owned, mm. appropriated. I'm not sure exactly what the right word here is, but awesome. I think ownership. Yeah. Um, in order to reproduce and maintain yes. the family and therefore the power. Yes. yes. And to what extent then does Meghan Markle's clearly marked other body? Is the other the othering here? Does it perform any kind of a role at all, or is it just allowing the royal family to indulge in a PR exercise? Oh, that's cynical. Because she's never going to be on the throne, as it were. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I think, totally cynical, and I am like with you. I think. You know, I'm sure they love each other and want to get married and all of those things. I'm, I'm not commenting on those two individual whatever. people. We don't, we've never met them. We yeah, don't know them. We're not interested. But it has to be significant. Or, how should I put this? I'm not sure the establishment would have reacted in exactly the same way if Meghan Markle was marrying William. Oh, Lord, no. And... No, absolutely yeah. not. And I think there's an element here of of Harry having in the last few years re- redesigned his public image yes. that takes account of the fact that he's made a number of very offensive, poor decisions yes. um, and has been a PR challenge yes. for his brother, certainly. But he's also now... Reformed, and you know, so he's, he does the Invictus Games. Exactly. He, he's he, you know, in engaging in very conventional good causes, which junior members of the royal family are supposed to spend their time doing. Um, but he doesn't ever. I don't. I mean, he's 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 reformed his image, but he hasn't tried to pretend like. He's a different person. No. So he, he hasn't gone about reforming his image by doing the complete opposite of everything yeah. he did before, or yeah. being the complete opposite yeah. of everything he was before. Yeah. And I think this is this fits right in with that image, yeah. which is the kind of, I wish I wasn't a royal. Yeah. I wish I was... You know, free and untethered. Hmm. I feel a much stronger connection to my mother than I yeah. do to the rest of the corporation. I, you know, this kind of identification as this sort of outsider within the royal family. This is it fits right in. Yeah. Um, but also, it's again, you know, moments like these, like moments when they announced birth of a new royal as it were the the rhetoric is all about family right so you know 
there's a fetishization of the roast chicken over which Harry apparently proposed to Meghan Markle. The f- that cannot the, have actually happened. But the point is, it doesn't really matter, right? I, I mean, even if it does, it doesn't. It's it's. But like, I need to know what actually happened. <laughs> I love but, celebrity gossip. You know, in I the same way that Camilla and Kate both gave statements saying, you know, delighted at the news, welcoming them her to her family, her to, her to the family. Buckingham Palace spokesperson made a statement about how the wedding will reflect who Harry and Meghan are as a couple whatever the hell that means. But it's all about naturalizing and normalizing that this is a family like any other family. As yeah. it were. When everyone patently knows they aren't and no one would be interested if, in anything, any of this, if they were. Yeah. And the weird stuff, like after Kate and William yeah. got married, yeah. the, this idea that they weren't going to have servants yeah. in their house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're so okay. modern. And First of all, they definitely have yes. servants. Second of all, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to your correction of my description of Meghan Markle as an American, mm-hmm. and your insistence that she's a Californian, what will this news do to America's relationship to the British royal family? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Because some of the people who love the royal family are not are not going to be pleased that the royal family is no longer completely 100% white. And that's not to say that I'm not fully aware of the history of the royal family and assume that there are plenty of illegitimate members of the royal family that are not white. Yes. But there is... This is quite fascinating. I think Americans will rally together, right? Because this will be... She's like our... She's our princess. She's, you know... She'll she'll be some sort of like, like, embodiment of every every American girl's dream to marry one of the two of them. There was a lot of resentment yeah. about Kate Middleton. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yes. she went to St Andrews. She has like the Englishest of English accents. There was no chance. American American women don't see themselves in her, but they could see themselves in Meghan Markle. Absolutely. Yeah. And does race play much of a factor in that, or is she going to be? I think it, I think less. To be yeah. honest, I think less because they're so crafted, and yeah. a lot of a lot of the racism that might crop up here is is racism that crops up in the sort of the sort of subtle yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. But the royal family is so sort of removed that yeah. um, people who think that they that they aren't racist anymore yeah. won't necessarily attach their racist thinking to her. Yes. Yes. They'll reserve that for... She's sort of transcended race by becoming royal. That, and yeah, that kind of racist yeah. hope. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like an assimilation, sort of an impossible assimilation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've... My family is not particularly fond of the royal family, so yeah. I mean, I guess we should. I mean, we should have said at the start neither of us are particularly pro royalty. <clears throat> I don't like. I don't like to believe that other people were born mm-hmm. inherently superior to me. Yeah, and it's quite funny how 
uh, my Facebook and Twitter universe is divided up into people who either are a small proportion of people who are sharing articles about how this is Britain's... I've even seen the use of the word this is Britain's Obama moment because it will forever change Britain's relationship with race, apparently. So, can we... I mean, to, to, to go... To, to push that a little yes. bit more. Uh, so, Harry had to go to the US in order to meet and then marry a mixed-race woman. Yes. Which, you know, but there are plenty of mixed-race British women. But the circles in which he might meet those women, he would never interact with. Whereas the kind of, the Hollywood world, he has friends there. And so, but if if she were British, would this be different? Um... I don't think so. I mean, I, th- I, I think I would certainly not... I'm not trying to argue that Britain isn't racially segregated. Obviously, it is, like everywhere. But I don't think that it is segregated to the extent that Harry wouldn't have known or met any non-white British people, as it were. I think that it is... The, the Americanness is only significant insofar as A, it is drawing repeated... Re- comparisons with Wallace Simpson uh, which is bizarre as well um, you know yeah well especially because he was a Nazi <laughs> <laughs> well he sort of was <laughs> but historically historically but I guess it's 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 being drawn on a serious note. This, the implications, I think, or the comparison is suggesting a degree of movement, right? We've come so far. Yeah. The royal family has reformed itself so far yeah. that now you are allowed to marry anyone you want. Yeah, and if she were British, it would be the same. It would be the same, I think. Um, I think, to be honest, um, the thing that... The, that, her, the aspect of her that probably is standing out the most... Or sh- or at least in legal terms would stand out the most is her Catholicism because that is the one legal barrier you know this is this is effective, effectively everyone accepting that Harry is never going to be king because as king he is not legally allowed to marry a Catholic uh, and it's beyond bizarre that that's the only legal framework that applies to any of this truly fascinating that as much of the royals as you can take today? Oh, I can take as much of the royals as anyone else, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's us done. So in conclusion, in the comments, tell us how you managed your Trump voting uncle over Thanksgiving. Or your hopes and dreams for the, the new royal couple. <laughs> All best wishes. Yes. We are your loyal subjects. <laughs> well, I am. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but your country wishes you were... I'm an interloper. America is so much more obsessed with the royal family than many British people are. Seriously. Yeah. Well, at the moment, too. Yeah. Anything. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, there's Anything such a post-colonial obsession 
in in the way that we could do a whole other episode about this. And in fact, we, we sort of have when we talked about the world worlds in India. But the empire's relationship with the royal family is fascinating. Oh. Well, um, thanks a lot. Leave us comments, questions, disagreements, anecdotes. Uh, anecdotes. Uh, if you've ever met the royal family, uh, let us know, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick, and I have been Anindya Vichardri. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr H Fitz, and me at Dr Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been the State of the Theory. Thank you. Well.